of Josiah saying from, from uh, Hebrews 12 there, I thought, I'm afraid that too many in the modern church view the contrast that is presented there between the Old Testament mountain that was burning with fire and they were afraid to come near it and the New Testament salvation through Jesus as once, we, uh, once it was really serious, once it was really powerful, but now we don't have to sweat it. Now things can become easier and more laid back and there doesn't have to be that such a sense of seriousness and so forth anymore. And just how wrong that is from the perspective of the whole of Scripture. And uh, uh, it's been impressed upon me recently, I think you could say, that the world is controlled by some kind of fear or another. And I think that's true, especially if we understand that fear is not only understood in a negative sense, as in the fear of man or the fear of punishment, or what's going to happen to me if I don't do this or if I do do that, but that there's also something called the fear of God, and that fear can be understood in that sense as a sense of awe in the, in the face of the transcendent, the sense of smallness in, in, in front of the greatness of God the sense of honor and reverence for something that is outside and beyond myself. And, and you feel like when he presents that and says, you haven't come to that, that mountain where a certain kind of fear of punishment was the main motivator, but you've come to the place, the new Jerusalem, where there are thousands and thousands of angels. Is this not an awesome place that God has called us into? He hasn't told us to leave behind our sense of honor. He's saying there is a greater honor at the greater revelation of the nature of God. When we see the nature of His love expressed to us through Christ, that does not produce a lackadaisical attitude in us, or it shouldn't. If we've really seen that revelation, that produces a greater sense of awe that can drown those fears I think every song we sang this morning already talked about, you know, you, you're the one who purchased my fears. Fear is what controls us before. We're familiar, most of us, with the scripture from Hebrews 2, where it says that, that Jesus became like us so that he could, through his own death, deliver us from the one who holds the power of death, which is the devil, that he might release all those who all their lifetime were held in bondage to their fear of death. Amen. Amen. And so then we sang the song Brother David sang here, and we sang, you know, he delivered me from every fear in the first verse. And then in the second verse we sang, oh, fear the Lord, oh, you his saints. Amen. We're talking about two different things because of the motivations that they reflect in our hearts. But the second one is greater than the first one. Amen. It's not just the fear of punishment. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We don't even begin to understand the world until, in, in a proper sense until we are aware of the transcendent greatness of our God. And yet we know today that that greatness is the greatness of His love. I was in Montana uh, a few weeks ago and Brother George Smith was sharing with us uh, we were talking about fear, and he was sharing with us about how when he was in Vietnam, 
before he knew the Lord, he, he was in a circumstance, he didn't give all the details, but he was in a circumstance where he was piloting a helicopter and, and they were shot down and, and so forth, and he suddenly realized, this is it, I'm going to die. And he was seized with a fear of, of, of that that he had never known before. And yet the Lord preserved his life through that circumstance. And he said, but from then on, while I was there, I was afraid to be afraid. The fear was so powerful, it gripped me so strongly that I realized I was completely out of control to the power of this fear that had invaded my world in that moment. And, he, and from then on, he said, I was just terrified that I was going to be that afraid again, that that fear was going to come back. And he said, he, he continued on through various circumstances, and he said then he came to a situation where he was in a, in a battle on the ground, and he, he, you know, there was an air raid, and he made it back to the bunker, and he said, you know, he's there with pounding heart. I think we survived this one. And they look around, and he realized, where's Roger? He had a friend, a buddy named Roger, and Roger was missing. Where's Roger? He didn't make it in here. And he said, I didn't think about it. He said, but I love this man. And he said, I ran back out into the middle of the firefight. And I went and I ran around like a madman until I found Roger and drug him back into the bunker. And he said, it wasn't until I got back in that I realized the fear that I was so afraid of was missing. Something else had conquered that fear. You know, and I think how Jesus says that as long as the strong man guards his house, his goods are in peace. Hey man, he's got control of everything. That strong man is the flesh. That strong man is the devil who controls us through the fears that the flesh has. And they don't just have to be the fears of, of being shot down in combat. That fear expresses itself in so many ways. It manifests itself in, just in the fear of what people are going to think about me. And the fear of what I'm going to lose if I do this. Or what I'm going to lose if I don't do that. And, and so we are controlled. Even in this meeting today, we can be controlled by certain perspectives and, and, and worries. What is this going to mean for my future if, if that's really true? And all those kinds of things. But Jesus said, that's the case with that strong man until one stronger than him comes and overwhelms him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's the meaning of the word baptize. One of the translations of baptize is to be overwhelmed as in one who is drowning, a drowning man. Thank you, Jesus. You know that song, you know, I'm no longer a slave to fear. It says, my fears were drowned in perfect love. This is not a, an insipid, weak, casual thing that comes and delivers us from our fears. This is a power that is stronger than our fears. Amen. And I just feel today, God, I don't want to come here to endure this meeting, to try to, to somehow survive your presence I am here because I know the things that grip me in the flesh. I am here to come and yield myself to a greater power. I'm here to invite your word into my heart, your conviction and your grace and your love that I might be possessed by the Holy Spirit of love today. Thank you, Jesus. Let every word be established by the mouths of two or three witnesses. God spoke to me when we came to this meeting. They the power to deliver from fear. And remember the first song by the dangers referred to. He purchased my fears and he redeemed the years. 
How many of us can say we have lost many good years because of those fears? How many of us want to raise our hand and say we know the truth of it? And it's not only us who came from the world. It's those who grew up in the church here or in the church there or in the church there. You are bound with that fear. The fear of men brings a snare. It snares you. Oh, I don't know this man. I don't know this man. I don't know this man. Who, 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 this, Jesus? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Three times. Forty-nine days later, men of Israel, listen to me. Those people are not drunk, as you suppose. Fifty days later, and the greater took possession. Baptismo. Baptize him in the Holy Spirit and power. Just tarry in Jerusalem, because you're going to be endued with power from on high. Not a doctrine from on high, but a power from on high. A power over your fears. So that's what I feel today. I don't want to have not just one more year. I don't want to have one more day being snatched by the fear of man instead of the fear of God. And what's the difference? The fear of man is what's going to happen to me. And if I really give it, if I really give, give it, what's going to happen? The sons of Abraham will do the deeds of Abraham. Early the next morning, Abraham rose up and told Isaac, come on, we are going to the mountain to offer a sacrifice to this unseen God. And if you have questions, I'll answer. But let me tell you something, Isaac. There would be no Isaac if there wasn't this unseen God that is waiting to me up on the mountain. And nothing ever going to be more important to me than my God. So come on, let's go up and Yahweh will provide. I have walked around and followed this voice, and he always provided, and he'll keep providing. There is a thousands and thousands of angels rejoicing before the Lord. But I believe Peter say that those angels could not experience what God's speaking to us today. They're looking to try to see what God has given us to participate in. In what? In this power from on high. In this love that drive away every fear. That get you got out of your cubbyhole and run like a madman to get somebody you love more than you. And then my fears are gone. I'm the second witness to say there's the power here for deliverance from those fears. You can live with the power from on high. Brother Zafir just quoted one of the passages I meant to share with you. That the fear of man brings a snare. What is a snare if it isn't something that is designed, it's waiting for someone who's in motion, and it says, as soon as you you encounter this snare, you're stopped. You're going nowhere. This fear is a binding, entrapping, enslaving power that stops our progress. Just when we're ready to make a step, here comes the snare of the wrong kind of fear, that self-preserving kind of fear. And yet the fear of God is exactly the opposite. Isn't it? It is an impelling, empowering force in our lives. By faith, Noah moved with godly fear and built an ark for the saving of his family. The fear of God says, this is too big. This is too great. There's too much at stake. He's too wonderful. He's done too much for me. I have to reach out for my brother's sake, for the honor of God. I've got to move with godly fear. Let's move today. I got a feeling that right now many people are going, I can't believe God is speaking this because it's so supernaturally 
what God has been speaking. And I know that because that's the case in several situations that I'm aware of. They're probably thinking, oh, he must have talked to Brother Dan. No, he didn't talk to Brother Dan. But the Lord might have talked to Brother Dan. Thank you, Jesus. I told somebody last night that the only, the only bridge across the chasm of fear is trust. And trust is, is, a, is a scary thing. If it didn't involve risk, it wouldn't be trust. It wouldn't be faith. And Peter had the hardest time just learning to step out, out of the boat toward Jesus. But we got to live on those waves. We got to learn to live on a place of dependence where we're following that voice. And so much of, of the, the, the word of our testimony, the victory that we're looking for, is, is in that voice that we hear. Homologeo or homologio, however you want to say it in, in the Greek, is translated as confess. And it means to speak the same thing as, which entails that our confession of the Lord is dependent on him speaking something to us that we can then adopt as our own. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. There's that confession that comes whenever the Lord speaks to us and we, we adopt that word as our word. We, we say, come into my heart, come into my life, take possession of my being. Let that promise be my promise. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Let that truth be my truth. And let it make me free in the same manner. So whenever God is speaking to us, we have this opportunity to adopt the word. And that's a very powerful thing because that word is going to energize you unto a certain goal. But it's the same with the voice of the devil. It's the same with the voice of doubt. It's a powerful word. Jesus said, Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you do this? And the devil's voice of despair and isolation and hopelessness and fear, it's powerful. And when it comes into your mind and you confess it, your life will be conformed to that confession. But don't homo the voice of the enemy. Don't speak the same thing as the devil is speaking. Speak the same thing as God is speaking. Let it come out of your mouth. Let it come into your prayers. Adopt it as your own. So many people, they get a touch in a meeting like this, but they don't understand what it really entails to bring every thought into captivity to the mind of Christ. They want a change that settles it once and for all. They want a magic elixir. Abracadabra. It's all done and dusted. That's the formula as we spoke about last week. God wants a relationship. He leads you into places of need. Places where you're not sufficient so that you'll seek Him. Isn't that what He's saying in Acts 17? 
God appointed, I'm going to just give it a paraphrase here, God made our life just so and just hard enough that we couldn't do it without Him, but would have to seek Him and find Him. Though He be not far from any one of us, for in Him we live, move, and have our being. Paul told them in Romans 10, he said, the righteousness of faith speaks like this. And the first thing that righteousness of faith says is, don't say. Did you catch what I just said? When Paul tells us that the righteousness of faith speaks, the first thing the righteousness of faith says is, don't say. Don't say in your heart that God cannot be accessed by you. Don't say in your heart that you can't get a victory, that you can't be different, that God can't hear your prayers, that you'll always be the way you are. Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up. But what does the righteousness of faith say? The word is near you. Salvation comes by faith, and faith says it's near you. The change is near you. The grace is near you. The miracle is near you. The love is near you. God is near you. And if you believe it in your heart, that's what he says you got to believe, you know. If you believe it, if it's a reality, and you say that, Lord, you're near me. Lord, you're near me. Apart from you, I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Lord, I can be different. Lord, I can change. Lord, I can be freed from these fears. That's homologeo. That's speaking the same thing as the word of life. Or you can adopt the other word, and it also will direct the course of your life. There's a word that's near us right now. It just is kind of hanging out there in the room for some. It's throbbing in the hearts of others. It's already a whispered prayer for some. There's a word that's just right there. It's just right there. It's right there. Amen. And that word is power. He upholds all things by the word of his power. That word is your change. Amen. That word gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. In other words, it's calling to you like you're a son of faith instead of a bastard of cowardice. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's talking to you right now. Do you trust it? Do you believe it? Somebody says, well, I don't know what, I don't know the voice of the devil and the voice of God. I don't know what's me or what's reality and what's the voice of the devil. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Satan means accuser. Whatever, whatever quote-unquote truth is laced with defeat is straight from the devil. It is a lie as surely as if you took poison and downed your, put it down your gullet. It is a lie from the devil. We already know what the voice of God sounds like. All the promises of God in Christ are yes, and through Him is an Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We already know what the voice and the plans of God are like. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. 
That's the plans he has for us. We already know the plans of God. I came not to destroy. He came. He's the destroyer. The devil is. Kill, steal, destroy. He came not to condemn, but to save the world. The voice of God brings conviction, which we've been told means with victory. Convictus. With victory. Oh, it hurts. Oh, it cuts. It pierces. But the voice of God is living and it's powerful. It is the power to be different, the voice of God. The voice of the devil is with damnation, condemnation. It's condemning. And it's basically saying you're bad and you can't be different. The voice of God is saying you're bad and you can be freed. You can be different. Amen. Hallelujah. He sent forth the Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's telling us what we shouldn't do. That's sin. What we should do, that's righteousness. And the consequence, if we ignore Him, that's judgment. That's the voice of God. The voice of God is on the waters. The voice of God is living and powerful. The voice of God causes the deer to give birth, the Bible says. It shatters the cedars of Lebanon. Those are parallel to all of your excuses and doubts and pride. Amen. It splitters them, he says. The voice of God is here in our midst today. Hallelujah. As a potential power. Amen. Lord, I want to recalibrate my life to accommodate and adopt this word. I want to be different. Amen. I want to take it into me just like I would take in a medicine and slowly start to feel its changes work through my whole system. I want to take this word inside me. I want to confess it. I want to declare right now, I can be free from my fears. Isn't that what the Bible says? He delivered me from all of my fears. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Amen. The voice of God says, in the day you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. The devil is a liar because he's a murderer. He's a liar because he's a murderer. Did you hear what I said? And God's life is so available to all people that he must lie to kill them. He must lie to rob them. He must lie to destroy them and undo them and leave them as nothing but a crumbled mess of what God intended. So he's a liar because God is good and he doesn't want you to know it. Because God is life and he doesn't want you to have it. Because God is here and he doesn't want you to draw near to him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you, God. We believe you. Say it with all your heart. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I'm taking a step of trust right now. I'm changing the way I think. I'm shedding these lies that are not me. Amen. They're the voice of the enemy. And I'm pressing toward you, God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. In his epistle, John says, No one who hears and beholds the Son goes on sinning. And I read in a, in a lexicon that they, this man said, this is kind of a strange configuration because what he's really saying is no one who sees the sun goes on sinning. 
not no one who has once beheld him, but no one who presently sees him and hears him goes on sinning. When Paul tells us about how we got to believe, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But then he says, how can they believe in Him whom they have not heard? He does not say, how can they believe Him whom they have not heard about? He says, how can they believe if they haven't heard God? How can they believe Him whom they have not heard? But then he begins to show us that God speaks through people so we can believe Him because He still speaks. And that's the same thing John is saying. How can we overcome? Writer of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we say, what? How do I do that? Where is Jesus that I might fix my eyes on Him? What a statement, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him. Well, someone will say, you got to see through the eyes of faith, and I believe that. Amen. But part of what you're seeing is the body of Christ. The reason the devil wants you to be an exception, the reason he tells you you're like nobody else in the world, which is the silliest lie he's ever told, is because he knows if you open your eyes and look around you, you see a thousand different versions of you who've all been changed to be more like the Lord. And if you see that for what it is, you can't go on sinning. You can't go on in your crippled incapacity because you know you have borne witness to the miracle, the power, the transformation which God brings in human lives. So he's got to tell you, oh no, don't see it. He's got to hide the body of Christ from you. When Paul was persecuting the church, he said, Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? What he was saying is, I didn't know it was you. I didn't know this church that I was beating up on was you. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But we know he was persecuting not the individual man called Yeshua, but the corporate body called Yeshua. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Why does the devil not want you to see the body? How beautiful is the body of Christ? Why does he want you, why does he want to obscure and hide the body from you because we all were once darkness but now we are light in the Lord and that means you can be too. We all were once captives but now we are led in triumphal procession and that means you can be too. We all were once dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our hearts but now we are alive. He has made us alive together with Christ and caused us to sit in heavenly places. And that means you can too. So he wants to hide the image of Christ from you. He wants to tell you a lie that you're alone, that you're unique, and that you can't change. But what the Lord is speaking to us today is you're not alone. 
You're just like all the rest of us. And good news is, you can change. In fact, if you're believing the Word, you're already changing. You are different than the person who sat down just a few minutes ago if you're believing and hearing and adopting this Word. Speak the same thing as be different. Amen.